This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. The 10th canto of Dante's Inferno is one of the most striking and most subtle portions of the entire divine comedy. It instructs through a combination of content and context and even its structure turns out to be important. It is a canto filled with passion and pathos. It builds upon what we have learned already, particularly in the sixth canto, about Florence, hell, and Dante's impending exile. Simultaneously, it lays the foundations for discussions of faction and family that will be developed throughout the rest of the Divine Comedy, culminating in Dante's encounter with his great-great-grandfather, Cacciaguida in the sphere of Mars. To successfully navigate this canto with our protagonist and his guide, we need to ask four key questions. Where are Dante and Virgil in this canto? With whom does Dante speak? And what do he and his interlocutors speak about? And why do they discuss these particular topics? Answering these questions will help us to see that Dante is not only taking a journey into the bowels of hell, but also into the depths of his own heart and society. Where are Dante and Virgil? They are now inside the walls of the city of Dis. In fact, they begin this canto on a tiny path, pressed between the imposing city walls and a cemetery stretching as far as the eye can see. This graveyard is full of open tombs. Flames run between the tombs, heating them like hot irons. Dante and his guide can hear the piteous cries of those inside. At the end of the previous canto, Virgil has told Dante that the occupants of these open tombs are heretics. Now he adds that this portion of the cemetery is reserved for Epicureans, those who think that the spirit dies with the body, or put another way, those who invest their hopes solely in the here and now, giving little thought to the possibility of an afterlife. At the beginning of this canto, Virgil tells Dante that on Judgment Day, the bodies of the damned will join their tormented souls, and the lids of these tombs will be sealed forever. Now that we have a sense of the setting of this canto, we can turn to the two individuals with whom Dante speaks. The first is Ferinata degli Uberti, a leader of the Ghibelline party in Florence, which we will discuss shortly who is described as rising out of his burning tomb from the waist up, with great chest and great brow, surging as if he held all hell in scorn, and disdainfully demanding that Dante give an account of who his family was. The second is Cavalcante de Cavalcanti, a member of another illustrious Florentine family, aligned with the opposing Guelph party, and the father of Dante's best friend, Guido Cavalcante. He is depicted less intimidatingly, only popping his head up out of the tomb that he shares with Farinata. Though these characters share a tomb for eternity, they never address one another, and there is no overlap in their conversations with Dante, despite several possible connections. Farinata discusses politics. Cavalcante worries about his son. Moreover, even though the interchange with Cavalcante interrupts Dante's heated debate with Farinata, the moment it ends... Farinata simply resumes speaking as if it hadn't happened. He also notably 
never replies to Dante's request that he inform Cavalcanti that his son is not dead. The fact that these characters do not address or even acknowledge each other is all the more striking in light of the fact that these historical figures were actually related. In an effort to heal the factional division in Florence, Cavalcanti's son married Farinata's daughter. So why do they never engage with one another? In part, it's because they belong to rival political parties. Farinata is a Ghibelline, Cavalcanti a Guelph. However, there's something deeper going on here. According to Dante, hell is not, as Jean-Paul Sartre famously claimed, other people. On the contrary, it's one's field of vision collapsing to the point that all you can see is yourself. At the heart of this canto are two conversations, one with Farinata about politics, another with Cavalcante about family. When Dante discloses who his family are, Farinata replies, They were bold enemies of mine, fierce to my party and my ancestors. What he means is that Dante's family, like Cavalcanti's, were Guelphs. Thus, to understand this subsequent conversation, we need to reflect on the nature of this conflict. 13th century Italy was split between these two factions. In one sense, the conflict was ideological. The Ghibellines supported the Holy Roman Emperor in his quest for dominance over Italy, while the Guelphs backed the Pope. It was also the outcome of deep personal grievances. In Florence, for example, these parties coalesced as the result of a jilted bride and the subsequent murder of her former fiancé. One helpful way to think about this conflict is to think about the Montagues and the Capulets from William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. In fact, these two families were the leading Ghibelline and Guelph families in Verona, and Dante will even mention them in the sixth canto of Purgatorio. Though they may have had legitimate concerns at one point, by the time we meet them at the beginning of Shakespeare's play, they are driven chiefly by hate itself. Ghibellines and Guelphs vied for control of Italian cities, sometimes leading to disastrous results. In Florence, the Ghibellines defeated and expelled the Guelphs twice, in 1248 and 1260, but both times the Guelphs succeeded in returning to power. Thus, Farinata comments that twice he sent Dante's party scattering, to which Dante retorts, If they were twice cast out, they twice returned, and art yours, it seems, have not well learned, meaning that the Ghibellines were never able to get back into power. The second of the Ghibelline victories was especially galling, since it involved Florentine Ghibellines led by Farinata joining forces with the Ghibelline city of Siena at the Battle of Monteperti. Though Dante is willing to call him a man of great soul, on account of the fact that after the battle he saved Florence from destruction, Dante easily justifies legal prohibitions against his family in light of this massacre. Besides trading barbs, Farinata prophesies Dante's exile from Florence, itself the result of factional politics, and informs him of the more than thousand that lie with him in this tomb, including the Emperor Frederick II, whose advisor Dante will meet later on in the Inferno, and whose family he will meet in both Purgatorio and Paradiso. Cavalcante's conversation with Dante is about family instead of faction. 
presuming that Dante is making this journey as a result of his poetic genius, instead of the actual reason that he has been saved from dark, the dark wilderness by a rescue mission from heaven. He wants to know why his son Guido, himself a celebrated poet, is not accompanying him. This leads Dante to reply that Virgil is leading him through this place for one your Guido may be held in scorn. It's unclear exactly who the one referred to is. Some scholars think it's Virgil, others God, and still more Beatrice. I, following Anthony Eslin, think that the latter option is the most convincing, and that Guido had scorned the theological part that Beatrice played in Dante's earlier poetry. This oblique reference may imply that he, like his father, paid little heed to the afterlife. Whether or not this is the case, Dante's use of the past tense held leaves Cavalcante to become concerned that his son is dead. When Dante, puzzled by the fact that Cavalcante does not know the future, when Chiron and Chiaco, whom he previously encountered, did, does not immediately answer, Cavalcante falls back into the tomb, never to appear again. The short but affecting conversation between Dante and Cavalcante is the structural center of this canto. Prushan notes that there is a symmetry in the five encounters. In the first and fifth segments, Dante and Virgil are alone. In the second and fourth sections, Dante debates with Farinata. In the third and central section, Dante speaks with Cavalcante. Furthermore, Cavalcante's anguished cry, isn't he still alive, is the exact center, line 68 of 136 of this canto. The craftsmanship of this canto serves a purpose. For Dante the poet knows something that Dante the pilgrim does not. That several months after this journey into hell, purgatory, and paradise is set, Guido would catch malaria and die. This evocative reference to Dante's soon-to-be-dead friend perhaps suggests that he held out hope that rather like himself, his wayward friend had been saved from the dark wilderness of his own error and unbelief. So why does Dante discuss politics and family in this region of hell assigned to heretics? In part, it is because these are both things which, when loved in a disordered way, cause someone to focus on earthly rather than eternal life, precisely the heresy which Farinata and Cavalcante are guilty. However, these are also matters from which Dante cannot distance himself. Throughout Inferno, Dante consistently is implicated in the all-too-relatable sins of those he meets. After all, if this is not to be his final destination, he has much to unlearn. Finally, politics and family present helpful ways of thinking about heresy. In the 14th century, heresy was seen as a kind of factionalism, which broke away from the universal church. Similarly, rather like love of family, it places values above those shared by everyone. This canto is thus not a horror show meant to shock, but a school meant to teach. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, 
Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.